Hello and welcome back or welcome to the Defining Endurance podcast. I am today's host, Lexi Miller, joined for our introduction with Andrew Simmons. Andrew, how's it going? It's going good, Lexi. Excited to uh, dive into another episode. This was a cool episode you did kind of surrounding hard rock if I have this right yeah yeah so this episode I talked to Kirk App who is a runner who is preparing for his 27th hard rock 100th and of course there's only been 27 so that means he has run every single one he dives into what drives him to run these long races and why he's still doing it at his age how he stayed healthy what motivates him, and the joy he finds on the trail. He tells a lot of really great stories about running ultras, running ultras in the 80s and 90s when it was a very different world. You know, we connect a little bit on that. He he finds out that my, he was running with my parents who were also running in the 80s and 90s, uh, early 2000s in those races when they were fighting to have people sign up. It's, I think, a really great, really vulnerable episode. He talks a lot about kind of his why. And, you know, it's just... I think it's beautiful to hear runners talk about that other side, not just the the nuts and bolts. Um, but of course, with this episode and with Hard Rock coming up, there's also a lot of drama in this world right now. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it surrounds not just Hard Rock in an episode that we'll talk about here soon, uh, talking about Western states. You know, both of these races, they have way more people that want to do them than they could ever fit into a single race in a year. And we're starting to see that athletes that get in, you know, a ticket each year, it's taking, you know, it used to take maybe three to five years when these races were younger, maybe in the early 2000s. But now we're looking at eight, nine. I mean, even one of our friends of the podcast, Mr. Kevin Goldberg, after nine years, finally got into Western States. And, you know, your friend, he's run 27 hard rocks. Like that is an amazing longevity to have in this sport. But I think of some athletes that once they get to racing 100-mile races, to think of another nine years of trying to be always ready for a 100-mile race, that's really hard. But the drama here, too, is also about finding you know equality uh, across the board here. I think we've seen this with more and more races about trying to find a place for equal entrance along you know men and women. In some smaller ultras, there's always going to be, I think, a, a higher number of male entrants. But when you start to have such a mass number, how do we equally create this? And so, again, this could be a whole episode, but I think what we've seen is uh, people like uh, we had an episode with Sabrina Stanley, um, and she recently posted on her Instagram, um, you know, just her frustration. And she feels uh, marginalized in this and kind of feels that whether it's Western states, in this case, Hard Rock isn't really being fair with how they're choosing these entrants. And so it's a, it's a really interesting look. And I feel like that's where the drama really lies in this. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's lots of ways to look at it, right? I think starting with what's fair, what's difficult with races like Hard Rock is that there's permits that need to be given for the race. Yeah. So I think it's 143 entrants out of the almost 2,000 people who apply. Right. It's going to be tough to make that so everybody gets a chance. Then they, Hard Rock also has, if you've run it five times, you have a guaranteed entry. You have to run it five consecutive years. I think you get like maybe one year where you don't run it, but you have to keep stay with it to keep that going. Again, you could look at it, is that fair? But then how many people have truly run it more than five times? So I think where it gets difficult is we want it to be this – you know, it's the same as Boston Marathon. We've built it up to be this amazing race. Yeah. 
but we can't have 30,000 people running on like delicate soil. Like that's right. not, that's not the nature of ultra running. So it's difficult to make it quote unquote fair. And like what makes a race special is how we talk about it. Why, why is hard rock? Why is Western States? Why is Leadville like the premium races? Yeah. You know, I think that's, that's, that's a really important thing to talk about because I, I would always look in this case, like hard rock, Western States, Boston, for a lot of people, those are sprinkles on top of the, uh, the ice cream cone of their, their running and training. And so I would say in this case, like I kind of lean a little bit towards, well, it is what it is. Right. And, and unfortunately, like, yeah, I think a lot of us probably would are frust- would be frustrated. Like if I was trying to get into hard rock, I would be frustrated both Western states and Hard Rock have done a great job of defending the why of this and, the, and keeping to the legacy of the race and what's important. But it, someone's always going to get hurt. Someone's always going to feel like they got less than. They feel like they got short ended of the bargain here. There's no good answer in these races. No. There's no good answer. And that's it. It's like, yeah, there's no way to make everyone happy. And I think that's where we can kind of also talk about the equality in the sport. Yeah. Is 50% of the entrants aren't female. Like right. people registering to run. So should 50% of the runners be female? I think it's a chicken and the egg with, you know, women in ultras is maybe if there were more running, then more would feel comfortable signing up. But at the same time, yeah. that's still not Do fair to the majority. the wait list, yeah. right? If that wait list is truly in order, if a female runner gives up her spot, do you move six people down the list to the next female or do you go next in line if right. it's a male? So again, you have this, it gets, it gets really complicated and, you know, I, we don't have time to go through the philosophy of morality of weightlifting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's, it is a really tough, a tough choice to make. And I, I think that you, you have to go back to, we're going to stick with the order. We have a system, stick to the system and not every system is perfect. Yeah. And I can't remember which race it was. I know one was doing the percentage of women who entered mm. that percentage got in. So if 40% of women entered or of the entrants were women, then 40% of the names pulled would be women. So, yeah. which makes it a little bit more equal and then still giving, you know, more representation to, to women, but I, it's tricky. It's, it's for sure tricky. And, and I think what it comes back to is that this, both of the races in question are extremely special. And I think that's what makes today's episode really important is that to experience something once is, is is magical, but then realizing the feat that something like Hard Rock really is, when you look at the course and you break it down, like it's not an easy race. And so the physical feat of completing something 27 times shows dedication. But on the other side, like being able to say like, it's not just 27 of something, it is 27 years. So to be able to have a body that can handle a hundred mile race and not a I wouldn't say an easy hundred mile race. No, one of, one of the hardest. One of the hardest hundred mile races out there, um, and to do it twenty seven times is is something special. So this is going to be a really exciting episode. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll go ahead and get it started. All right, let's jump in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back, or welcome to the Defining Endurance Podcast. I'm today's host, Lexi Miller, and I am joined by ultra running legend Kirk Apt. Kirk is uh, here in Colorado, and he has been running ultras for the better part of three decades. Uh, go, coming up now, he's going to run his 27th Hard Rock Trail 100. And today we are just going to chat a little bit about, you know, the landscape of ultra running, how it's changed, and some of Kirk's experiences. So 
just settle in for some nice stories. Kirk, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Lexi. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Well, just to get started, I'd like to hear a little bit more about you and maybe kind of your journey into the sport. Okay. Um, yeah, like you said, it's been a while. Um, I can't tell you exactly when I did my first quote-unquote official ultra. It was sometime in the late 80s, I think. Um, didn't think a whole lot about it at the time. I was um, living in Crested Butte at that point, and um, yeah, I've been a lifetime runner, and uh, just... Um, just love getting out into the mountains, into the deserts, whatever's out in front of me, and um, kind of got started that way. Um, I did my first 100 mile. I can actually tell you about that. I do remember that date. <laughs> that was the Leadville Trail 100 in 1991. Um, in my years and early years there in Crested Butte, um, I had a, a friend whose um, boyfriend at the time was was moving to the Gunnison Valley and she said oh you guys will have a great time together he's done the Leadville 100 and I had always you know thought about it and it's like wow that's, that seems like a pretty amazing adventure maybe sometime I don't know maybe when I'm 40 or something I'll do it then I was uh, uh, 28 or something at the time so um, 1990 my buddy Greg came to town and I'm like, oh, you did the Leadville a couple of times. Like, yeah, well, I haven't finished yet, but, um, you know, I've done it. And I'm like, well, here you go. You should enter again and I'll be your pacer. <laughs> so uh, we did that and uh, uh, had a good time. Greg got to um, inbound fish hatchery and decided he'd had enough for whatever reason. He was tired and didn't want to go on, on anymore. And I'm like, that's cool. It's your race. So then the next year, I, I uh, said, why don't we flip rolls and I'll do it. And he was on board for that. And amazingly enough, he's still, you know, he's probably paced me for half of my 60-something, 100 milers. And uh, uh, is on board to pace me again at Hard Rock this year, as he always does. So uh, that was kind of my beginnings in official Ultraland. That's awesome. Both my parents were ultra runners um, around that same time in the, you know, late 80s, 90s into the early 2000s. And I remember as a kid, you know, the trail running community was much different and the races were much different than they are today. You know, with the Leadville Trail 100, it's like mm -hmm. a giant party the whole time. There's just tons of people. All the yeah. A stations have every amenity you could possibly want. It's kind of a, a little bit more cushy. At least that is my interpretation of seeing it as a child versus seeing it now in my own experience. But I'd like to hear kind of what your your thoughts on mm -hmm. the changes are. Okay, I'm going to take a quick left turn here, if you don't mind. Um, you got a pretty common last name, but it's Jeff and Sandy or your parents. It sure is. Awesome. Yep, that's, that's I them. Love those guys. Haven't seen them in a while, but uh, anyway, yeah. Okay, back to your question. <laughs> I forgot what you asked me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. Yeah, so just, you know, kind of the changes that, yeah. that you've seen in trail running or in the races. Yeah, themselves. well, boy, Leadville's been a dramatic change, that's for sure, um, as all of them have. But, um, you know, in the uh, in the early 90s and middle 90s and, you know, for many years on from there, you know, Leadville, I'd show up every year and 
It seemed like I'd know half the people and well, that's not the case anymore. Of course, the big change came when um, uh, the big corporate company whose name escapes me right now. Um, that is Lifetime Fitness, fitness I Thank believe. you. Yeah, yeah. when they mm-hmm. took over, um, uh, it, uh, it changed quite a bit. Um, and uh, I ran, I kept running Leadville until 2014. That was my last one. I finished 20 and decided that was a good place to, to um, call it good for Leadville. Um, so lots of, lots of changes in Leadville, not just, um, uh, not just a bunch of new people coming in, but um, just kind of the way the race was handled at um, you know, it went from very much a, a um, local run Leadville flavored event to something a little more uh, slick, for lack of a better word. Um, and I still go back there. I, I help out at the um, Winfield Aid Station every year. Um, yeah, so that's Leadville. And then, you know, otherwise, it's... And it's just, you know, the numbers of people that are involved now are probably brought about the biggest changes. You know, lotteries were not a thing at all, <laughs> you know, back in the day. Um, you know, you could enter in whatever, you know, a week or a couple of days before most events and just show up and write your check and you're good to go. Um, so it takes a little bit more uh, forethought. And of course, you know, it's more of a more of a technical sport now before it was, um, you know, it was certainly competitive and stuff, but, uh, uh, just, you know, the knowledge and the availability of acquiring that knowledge with the internet and everything is just, um, you know, really changed the game dramatically. Yeah. So you're still competing, which means, you know, it hasn't turned you off in the changes, but you know, I'd like to hear kind of your experiences if you're you're open mm-hmm. to talking about it, maybe from those early, early ultras to today, you know, how has your experience as the runner changed? Well, um, yeah, I wouldn't say I compete anymore. I, I take part. I'm a, I'm a joyful participant anymore. Um, I had, I had a bunch of years where I was uh, thought of it more in competitive terms than I do now. Um, uh, yeah, so it's it's just kind of changed personally for me in that regard. You know, as I've gotten older and slowed down, and times and places are really doesn't doesn't have any appeal to me anymore. But um, it's still really great to be a part of the the community and um, to to participate <laughs> on a different level and. Uh, for me, anyway, it's 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 a much richer experience um, to go into an event and not you know not really think about the time. The only times I think about are making the cutoffs, which are becoming a bit challenging, also. But um, uh, my goals now are more just to enjoy the experience, and you know, part of that is recognizing that I'm certainly coming towards the end of my ability to make those cutoffs. So um, it, it's um, each each run that I am able to complete is uh, truly a blessing. I mean, and I think that can be said for anyone. You know, we talk about that in terms of age, but mm-hmm. I think all of us are just lucky on certain days, like even Absolutely. the most elite, amazing yeah. person. Yeah. 
it's it's all a crapshoot. A lot can happen in a hundred miles or now a hundred plus mile, hundred mm-hmm. plus miles. Yeah. And we're we're all just fortunate to make it make the cutoffs. And um, we are. <laughs> right. Uh, so I'd like to hear a little bit, you know, Hard Rock is now a race. Like you said, lotteries didn't really exist in, you know, probably up until the mid 2000s, I would say, like the maybe, yeah, beginning of the turn of the century. Um, right. So now you've run Hard Rock, which is a race that so many people dream of and haven't gotten into. So yeah. let's just indulge that a little bit and hear about some of your Hard Rock stories. What was your most like memorable Hard Rock experience? Oh, man. Um, I would say my most memorable hard rock experience was, um, let me think here, it must have been the 2013, yeah, the 2013 event. Um, hopefully I can get, get through this without choking up too much. <laughs> um, but, uh, my, my father had, had passed away, um, in uh, May of that year, just before the run. And um, so uh, he was certainly with me um, through the event and uh, spent lots of trail time thinking of him and uh, um, enjoying those memories. Uh, Yeah, take a drink of water here. Um, I wear my emotions on my sleeve, so <laughs> it's fun that way. Um, but anyway, I had, uh, come to the last climb on the course and it was, it was, um, right about sunset and, um, it, what a phenomenal view I was looking at. It was up on Putnam for people who are, um, familiar with the course. So I just basically one one long downhill into Silverton to finish the run but um the weather was uh was just going crazy all around us but pretty well distant you know I wasn't I wasn't fearing for you know any lightning moving in on me but looking back towards your ray I could just see this crazy thunderstorm going off of over my other shoulder was this just incredible uh, Alpen glow on the ridge behind me, and I found myself standing in this field of those uh, alpine Indian paintbrush that they're fairly specific to the San Juans, but those ones are just like this amazing sort of fluorescent pink orange color, and the low light was just like grabbing onto those, and it just looked like someone had plugged them in. It was it was just phenomenal, and uh, I I had to sit down there up at the top and, uh, um, think about my dad and a little side story there. He loved the color red. So it was really, uh, dad was speaking to me, um, through those Indian paintbrush up there. Um, and just, yeah, when I talk about rich experiences that I seek in, uh, the runs now, that is right up at the top. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, you know, those who've listened to the show before know I, I'm also a very emotionally driven person and I think vulnerability is such a huge strength, especially among runners. Um, and so I really appreciate you sharing that story. And for those who haven't been in the San Juans, um, you know, first, if you can go, go 
when you like in the summer, it's amazing. It's beautiful. Uh, if that's not a possibility anytime soon, Google a photo because it is just amazing. The mountains, the flowers, um, it's a very, very special place, uh, which I think is one of the reasons people are so drawn to the race, or at least initially, I think now it's mm-hmm. also the difficulty, uh, which is what I'd also like to hear, you know, some of your stories mm-hmm. of is like kind of those tales of hardship from the race, those big climbs, those lightning storms. All of the above, um, you know, and every year's different. Um, you know, we've had, we've had years that were really hot even, you know, and, and the heat has taken out a bunch of people. Um, and, you know, frankly, after 26 years, a lot of them have sort of blended together. So I'm, my memory is a little fluid with, with, you know, any specifics, uh, as far as, you know, what year had what weather and stuff, but, um, fair to say we faced it all. Uh, let's see, this probably would have been the, just before the two years we couldn't have it. So that would have been 2018. We ran through this just silly hailstorm um, early in the run, uh, coming down into Sherman, and um, it, it finally relented by the time I got to uh, the aid station. But there were people in there with just like welts on their legs and just, just getting pummeled by this hail. But uh, uh, you're running down that hill and you know ankle deep hailstones covering the trail. Um, just another pretty fond vivid memory of uh the the specific wildness of the san juans and so the race has a 48 hour cutoff which is a little bit long for most hundreds but it's because Mm -hmm. of the the weather um you know there's been some situations where people have you know had to hide out from lightning or unfortunately Mm -hmm. got hit by lightning Mm -hmm. it's a it's a wild race and again i think just the remoteness of where it is, the difficulty of the trail. Um, it's definitely one that kind of calls on the human spirit to, to push through. So how do you train your mind and your body to, to get through that? Yeah. Um, you know, something that's, that I've kind of been working with, um, in more recent years is, um, you know, I have the experience of, of, of being on the trail in all kinds of conditions and, um, now, when I find myself particularly challenged, um, I <laughs> I work on um, just trying to vibrationally blend with the environment, um, and and uh, you know I just I just ask for safe passage, and you know if something's aching me, you know I I can uh, work with that a little bit. Um, I, I I don't know what you'd call it. It's uh, it's not a prayer. It's not a meditation, but it's um, it's a little process I go through on a lot of runs. Um, I use um, images of the kind of the basic seven chakra systems, and um, um, I've felt certain connections with specific tree species that correspond to the chakras and and uh so i I just got this kind of mental play thing that i use in my head when i'm when i'm struggling a little bit and um you know i i I just don't suffer anymore you know um it just doesn't seem necessary to me it's um that's more of an ego thing i think and i've been able to 
just kind of let that part of my ego certainly go and um, just try to tap into some higher vibrational uh, energies and and work my way around the course in concert with the course. So I don't feel like, you know, I got to go out there and conquer the course. You know, nobody does that. <laughs> they might think they do, but I don't believe it anyway. Um, so that's kind of my, my approach to it. Yeah. So, you know, I'm big into mindfulness and the idea of chakras I I've always liked, because even if you're like, that's complete hooey and these parts of your body don't have any specific, you know, power, I think at least being mindful of those areas and working yourself through them and visualizing those colors and breathing, mm -hmm. breathing the exactly. color in, yep. breathing yep. out the negativity, I think it's like a great practice in making sure that your body's doing okay. Mm -hmm. So the very least, it's an awesome way to check in with yourself and just be like, okay, oh, it is. chakra. It is. And that's, um, you know, that's, that's the kind of the area, this little more esoteric end of running that's um, become um, how I approach running anymore. Like I said, I don't, I don't worry about time or speed or pace or place or any of that. And that, that just, that doesn't really appeal to me anymore, but the more, um, esoteric for lack of a better word, uh, um, approaches are, are kind of what I'm working with now as a, as a joyous participant, as opposed to a competitor. That's awesome. And I think, you know, hopefully in the many ways that I think ultra running is changing is that people can be both. Uh, you can compete, but then also take a moment and enjoy the beautiful mountains and the bright flowers and be aware sure. of yourself and yeah. that ego strength, because I mean, eventually you're going to burn out if you don't, I believe. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we see that all the time, you know, there's uh, just, you know, the newest hot runners on the scene and they have great results and then they, you know, get all excited and maybe they overtrain, get injured, and then they just sort of fade away and you never hear from them again. Uh, there's a common pattern, you know, of course there's, there's, there are exceptions to that. And, uh, um, however, they personally are able to, to work through those, those issues. Um, um, that's what interests me as well. So, you know, the people who, who keep going in the sport, you have to have a, have a, um, a deep love and appreciation for, for our ability to go out and do these ridiculous things. So, um, you know, I was like hearing from other people is who've been in, you know, kept at it for a long time and, and, and hear how they, how they, make that happen. Well, and I think that's what, you know, hopefully our listeners are kind of gleaming from you as well as you found longevity in the sport. You're still, I mean, I don't know how many people who've done the same 10 K 27 years continue, you know, <laughs> let alone a hundred mile race. So, you know, you've been able to put in that time and energy that goes into training, which is the other thing I kind of wanted to touch on is how has your training evolved from, you know, the late eighties, early nineties to, to where you are today? Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, um, I've always been more of a sort of a seat of the pants type trainer, uh, sort of not really following, a like a training plan. I would, um, I would in the earlier days, I'd kind of lay out, um, a rough plan. It's like, you know, I'd like to do 
these get these long runs in at these separate weekends or whatever um but you know i was always more loose with it and that you know if i would get out there and it just didn't feel like the right time i would i would let that go and either you know pick up where i left off next time or 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 you know whatever um um but i'm um as my work i'm also a bodywork therapist so that's become a big part of um i think my longevity is i've always been involved in in both um learning about the body and receiving plenty of body work and i have a regular kind of protocol of various therapies that i i go through and that's that's been a huge part of um i i think my ability to to keep uh keep on keeping on yeah so if you don't mind uh, i'd like to hear more about your work as a, a bodywork therapist mm-hmm yeah, I do. Um, I do Rolf structural integration and kind of myofascial structural work. So it's hands-on, you know, a certain type of massage therapy, basically. Um, so uh, that's what I do myself. And then I get regular acupuncture um, and chiropractic and, and some other therapies as well as I see fit. Um, but I, yeah, I got I got interested in in um, in massage and body work pretty early in my, in my ultra, um, experience. Um, I, I just started getting a little bit of body work by myself and, you know, just, you know, just pretty easy to instantly recognize the, the recovery benefits from it. And, um, then I had the opportunity to, to go study it myself and, and, um, become a, a, a therapist. That's great. And I mean, I think that also speaks to that practice that again, you're, you're in good health, you know, having put so many miles on your body. Um, so, you know, kind of to, to close out a little bit, I want to know what keeps you coming back to, to the hard rock 100. What, what keeps drawing you to, to that race in particular? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you know, we, people talk about the hard rock tribe and, um, that's uh there's there's really two things to answer your question simply and and one of course is the 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 people and um you know that's still the one of the uh events where you can show up and know you know know a lot of the the people is they've been coming for years and years and even you know the runners who have finished the race before and and have sort of you know retired from it because they can't can't pull it off anymore they're still there every year you know they're either working an aid station or or doing whatever they they can to to um you know prepare for the race and help people out um and uh i mean you know we've had the same rd the uh, amazing dale garland for the whole time the whole 27 years of the event and um uh so the people, you know, it, it's, it is our, our tribe. It's like, um, like going to a, a family reunion where you love just about all your, fa all your family <laughs> in that regard every year. And then, you know, the, the other side of that, of course, of course is the San Juan mountains. We've talked about already. It's, uh, you know, 
uh, you can travel all over Colorado, but um, anyone who who does that and then makes their way to the San Juans is like, wow, yeah, these this is a little different than most of the other amazing mountains in the state. It's just a bigger scale. The climbs are huge. Uh, uh, it's 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 just so vast and and uh, it's just such power and it um, energy out there in in the in the in those mountains that uh, keeps keeps me coming back. That's that's amazing to hear because, like I said, I think Hard Rock is is just a dream for many of us. Um, so hearing you know how people have experienced it and then just have like love that race is so is so wonderful and so beautiful to hear. Um, as we close out, I want to know: Do you have any advice for? For athletes who are preparing to run their big races this summer, um, how they can just, you know, take a little bit of that joy that you're you're expressing with them into their event. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, tell them what works for me again is um, uh, recognize your gratitude for um, having a. a body to be able to do these things for one thing. Um, and, um, you know, especially our races here in, in Colorado, I'm a little biased, but, um, I mean, any, any run that you do in Colorado, you're going to be going through something that's just jaw droppingly awesome. And, um, uh, you know, take note of that. And, you know, when you start to struggle a little bit, just stop if you need to, but certainly look around and, and, um, check in with where you are. And, and, uh, one of my tools has always been, okay, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm kind of hurting here, but where else would I rather be? What else would I rather be doing? Easy, easy answer. Nothing. <laughs> Just appreciate it. Um, you know, none of us are any more, any further away than one really bad step from not being able to do this anymore. So appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, just take it, take in the experience. It's an experience, um, that, uh, relatively few people get to have in their lives. So take note of that and, and be grateful. No, I think you're, you're exactly right is, you know, it can always all go away. And then also, you know, if running is something you truly love or hiking is something you truly love and you get to spend all day out doing it, that's well, like, what a life. Than that. Yeah. Yep. Um, and sure it's hard at times, but there's good snacks to push through that. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, Kirk, thank you so much for joining us. I really enjoyed this conversation. And I look forward to seeing how you do at Hard Rock. Uh, just thinking of you going over those climbs. Uh, so thank you again. Thanks so much for the opportunity. I hope, uh, I hope um, there's, there's some meaningful information in there for, for the people who tune in. Hey guys, Coach Andrew Simmons here. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Defining Endurance, the podcast from Lifelong Endurance. Do you want more information and content between shows? Follow us on Instagram at lifelong underscore endurance, as well as on Facebook. You can also check out our YouTube page for more running and strength training tips. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. We look forward to seeing you guys next week.